You are listening to African Father in America podcast by Simon Javanokele live from Seattle, Washington, USA. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us uh, for today's incredible session of the African Father in America podcast. Uh, this is one of the episodes I was really, really excited about. Um, and I can't do this on my own. I have so many things to share with you all today besides the special guest that I'm just going to introduce in a moment. Um, you know, we are going to, we are going to uh, talk a little more about this partnership that we have with Health Commons. Um, and we are going to talk about Madaraka Festival and also as usual, we will talk about a beautiful African proverb. And today, our proverb uh, says that noise and hunting don't go together. Noise and hunting don't go together. You learn more. I'll share three nuggets of wisdom about it. For now, I'm just going to introduce my wonderful guest, uh, who is also an, an amazing community leader here in the Seattle, Washington area, especially in the Zimbabwean community. Marsha, how are you doing today? Simon, I am great. Good to join you on the show this morning. Thank you for having me. Of course, of course. Thank you for all the amazing work that you do, whether Life. it's... What? Life. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Is that right? The community, some events we were talking about, your name came up. It's wow, <laughs> wow, wow. I'm so glad, you know. A lot of the time you just put in the work you don't uh you don't pay attention to the impact that you are making you know until someone says something is when you realize that you are actually uh making some form of impact um but Simon, first I w go ahead about the the consistency too uh because that was one thing i realized you've been very consistent and that's the thing i live by making sure I say what I do and do what I say. That's why even getting to this uh, call today was hard, but, and you also were having a difficult morning, but we are both here and you're consistently here on this call every day without fail. And that shows in your work, in uh, your leadership and everything you do. And that is what guarantees success. So we appreciate that. Of course, of course. Thank you. Thank you. I, I deeply appreciate that, especially coming from you. Uh, I deeply, deeply appreciate that. So this is a special series. You know, you are the first among many African women leaders in our community that are being featured in this interview series where we are learning a little more about uh, women leaders here in the Pacific Northwest in, in Washington State from uh, the African diaspora who are doing incredible work, uh, especially work that relates to COVID-19 in our community. How are we dealing with COVID-19 since the pandemic until now? In fact, there is, there is some funding from the Department of Health here in Washington State that is, uh, is meant to benefit the African diaspora community. So part of this is really to learn how your perspective is about, you know, the COVID-19 situation in general. So we will talk about today's proverb, but also in a moment we will talk about, uh, you know, your thoughts 
of course about the proverb we'll talk about your thoughts about the effects of covid-19 in in your community uh, we'll talk about best practices and learnings um so for those who are joining us on tiktok thank you so much uh those who are joining us on youtube make sure you leave your comment with where in the world you are joining us from today and then those who are joining us on facebook and linkedin uh and twitter we are live on all those platforms right now uh also let us know in the comments where you are joining us from so uh you know as i was saying at the beginning you know here in seattle the african community is very very small and if you are out there in the community doing good work you will have to run through martha you masha you 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 interact with masha in some way or you will hear that masha is is in this part of the world in some way because she will show up for you you know even if you're producing a ugandan event she'll come beautifully dressed and she will support you and that's part of the benefit i have had of having you as a friend and so you know i also appreciate how you've supported this show consistently and uh you know without saying much i want us to jump in into number 1 noise and hunting don't go together that's our proverb for today and so uh i want to quickly share the three nuggets of wisdom related to this and then we'll go deeper into just understanding your own perspective on this proverb and then going into some of the questions that our friends at uh, health commons uh, would love for us to discuss today so number 1 the quick real quick yes yes i'm in my car i had to sneak out you know i have two young kids i'm a single mom i had to cuz this time of the morning the kids are still sleeping i had to sneak out the house so that my noise would not wake up my household <laughs> and do this call in the car so this uh proverb is very appropriate for me this morning cuz i said if i make any noise I will not be able to take this call and let me do it in the car because I'll wake up my household so <laughs> I'll let you carry on. I I had no idea Masha that you're in the car, you know? I can't tell. <laughs> yeah, you have a perfect production studio in that car, you know. <laughs> yeah. That too. <laughs> That's wonderful. Thank you again for making the time. So, uh the first nugget of wisdom says some activities such as hunting requires focus. patience and precision. The second nugget says that be mindful of your actions. And the third one says that respect nature and the environment. So, Masha, talk about this proverb briefly. Noise and hunting don't go together. What does it uh, bring up for you? Yeah, definitely brings up, you know, the skill having to be uh, knowing, you know, what what goes with the other if you're going to be a hunter you have to know how to be quiet and i've actually seen that hunters become almost like military personnel they have movements that they use if they're hunting with other people to say okay now it's time to to stop you know they'll use the fist to show that it's time to stop now it's time to move the, to move now they sometimes have to be on their stomachs and use tactical skills uh to be able to get the result which is the prey to get the the game so noise and hunting don't go together you really have to know in everything that you do 
if it's hunting of any kind, if you're in a professional setting and you're trying to hunt a job, I've had to recently be job searching. You have to have the skills, you have to have the knowledge to know what it takes for you to be able to ultimately catch that hunt, whatever you're hunting for. You have to have preparation, you have to have uh, some of what you shared in your nuggets. You really have to know that I can't make noise at this time. And there are times that you want to make noise and, you know, say, hey, everybody run if you need to. So having that knowledge of what it takes, having the skill, being prepared and uh, really studying the art of whatever you're doing and being consistent. Like you said, you know, when we're talking about the work that we do, uh, hunting and knowing, the, having the emotional intelligence to know how to deal with, with people, if it's, it's people that you're hunting, if you're in marketing. So in all all skill sets in any any industry, you really have to know what is the right approach, what is the right way to do it, when not to make noise, <laughs> and when to make noise. Because in some instances, you really have to then say, oh, you know what, this is wrong. Let's make some noise now as we're hunting for this uh, this deal or whatever it is we're doing. I love that. I love that. So, Masha, you know, there might be some people who are watching this for the first time who uh, do not know your story. And I just want you to uh, share with us just quickly when you when you look back, you know, uh, you're just talking about, uh, you know, recently your job searching uh, and also, as you're saying earlier about me, that whenever like you're in six different situations this week where you had my name being mentioned. But I also, you know, uh, recommended you for this series because I feel that I hear about you at Tacoma Refugee Choir. I hear about you uh, at the Coalition of African, uh, you know, Coalition of African Leaders here in Washington State. I hear about you at Africa Town, multiple places, but very few people, uh, of course, in the Zimbabwean community, I was visiting an art gallery and there was a man looking at the same picture, was image, uh, painting I was looking at. And I realized he was a Zimbabwean living in Portland, but he knew you very well. <laughs> so uh, your story is really a part of the African diaspora community here. Um, but I want you to just quickly share with us when you look back, you know, what is it that continues to drive you to be in community and doing community work despite the challenges that sometime we might face you know sometime you're jobless but a community event is happening and you're required to show up for it or to do something for it you are on a board of an organization but you have no job but this organization needs you and so you have a choice to either stop being on that board and secure your your your, your situation or do both and have less time for yourself and for your children. So it's a life of sacrifices. And sometimes we don't know what really drives leader, leaders like you to do the work that you do in the community. So just speak to uh, maybe briefly a childhood story that really inspires who you are today. And then I want to jump straight into some of the effects of COVID-19 in, in, in your community particularly, because even though we are all from Africa and from the African diaspora, you will be surprised that the Zimbabwean experience here in Seattle, in that community, is probably something that me, as a Kenyan immigrant here, I, I, I probably don't really know. So I want us to jump into that after we listen to your story briefly. 
All right. So my story, I'm going to share my childhood. I was born in Zimbabwe, as you correctly stated. And um, while I was growing up, I was not athletic. I went to a very elite school in Zimbabwe. And I thank, you know, I'm thankful my parents really wanted to make sure I had a good education as a girl. My mom had been denied that opportunity herself. This was a time Zimbabwe was uh, really moving in transition from being a colonial run country, going into the um, uh, independence phase and working through all that. So it was a very difficult time, but my parents ensured I, I had a good education. While I was a student, I was not athletic. Uh, but we were required to take some extracurricular ex uh, activities. I chose to then take uh, service clubs and scripture union. And these are clubs where you'd go to volunteer on Fridays. They would take you to go feed the hungry, go to the orphanages, bring your clothes, and we would hand them out. And that was when I realized, really, I have a heart of service. The first orphanage we went to, I was just breaking down crying when they said, these kids don't have a mom, they don't have a dad. And they were beautiful, well cared for children. And I couldn't imagine. And I just was so emotional. We were feeding them and I was just the only one just breaking down crying. But I have a heart of service. So as I got into some of those service organizations, one main one was called Interact. The uh, adult version of it is Rotary International. I've stayed in Rotary. Um, pretty much my whole life. I'm on the board for Seattle for Rotary. So the fact that I ended up in Seattle, which has one of the biggest Rotary clubs in the world, Seattle for is the fourth largest Rotary club. Uh, and then in other service work that I've been involved in. And just, uh, so that was his shaped, and like I said, having a, a, a heart of service as a human being myself, but also just having all these opportunities. And I even go to the conferences for Rotary. Um, and I was more in the background. Uh, I moved he, to Seattle as a teen, actually. But what happens with organizations like Rotary, you end up wherever you go, you have a, a Rotary family. You actually end up just being able to embed yourself into the organization and get involved. And it's, it involves leaders. I mean, some of the founders here, Bill Gates' father, and a lot of people. So you are sitting at tables with CEOs, with leaders, uh, and it continues to just inspire you and be able to do projects that make a difference in the world that you can really see. And you wouldn't be able to do that uh, any other place. But I want to jump quickly to when I moved here to Washington, I had opportunities uh, because our community was very small in the, in the mid nineties is when I moved here. So, and I was a teenager at that point, but, uh, well, by then I was in my early 20s. I'd come through, I was in Canada initially. But I then began, like I said, to continue my service work and see how we can get together with other community members. You know, as you are in, new in, the, in a new country, you're finding community, you're finding ways to connect with people. So like I said, it's through organizations like Rotary, through, uh, and then through just what, people that you have things in common with. So I did find some Zimbabweans that were already here. Uh, thankfully, our history here of immigrants to Washington is, is quite long. We're not a big community, but in the 60s, my uncle, Dumisani Marairidre's father, moved to Washington. And he taught music at the University of Washington, actually, Dr. Dumisani So he really brought the culture. And a lot of people just 
we've clung on to it, our traditional instruments became embedded into the culture here in the Pacific Northwest. It was so embraced. So our culture and heritage was brought to this by uh, this, this area by my uncle Dumisani Marari in the 60s. So it was just easy as you move and you say from Zimbabwe, oh, people, they know marimba, they know mbira, they know our instruments, they know our culture. And, um, but long story short, the last few years, I'd taken a bit of a backseat with the community work. We have had some new families. Some of the original people that we used to lead the community with had moved on or some were, were no longer involved. But we had a, a new community member who emerged, uh, Mr. Uh, Kanosi Chakwera. Inspiring and he was so passionate. He had young kids about how do we keep our culture going how do i teach my kids my language how do we get together as a community and he jumped when the covid pandemic happened he really jumped into leadership uh helped rally our community we got some funding and grants to just help support each other through financial hardships through the mental trauma that was going on through um you know medical access and and some of the foundations were giving money to communities and we really registered and became a more formal started to get more formal he unfortunately died of covid when uh, the world reopened uh, he went back to the office um, and he got sick a few days it turned out he had contracted covid and he died in his home and it was such a sad loss for our community you know worldwide he was such a powerhouse of a man who was really rallying so many of us to do so much again about preserving our culture, about you know being proudly Zimbabwean and teaching our kids where we are from, what you know what what it is to be Zimbabwean and perpetuating our culture. So his loss inspired me to keep doing this work and you know everything I do. I think I, I think of him daily, and again I think of people like you and the passion and knowing the reason we do this with the Proverbs is to honor our ancestors, is to remember our culture, is to always be mindful, to teach our kids to be proud of our heritage, and all those things are important. And we are in a region where King County is giving funding to uh, for people to preserve their cultures, for people to be proudly showing and teaching here in in america about where they're from uh, and they see the importance of that so there's funding being provided for us to celebrate our cultures to share who we are where we are from and to bring that here to the northwest and make it part of life you know where, when we're in the americas and a lot of people don't always know that and that's a new consciousness for me that has made me even more determined to say I want to continue to teach my culture. I want to continue to learn more. I want to continue to teach my kids because it's important. And for people to be successful, research has actually shown that when young people know their culture and they know where they are from, they are then able to be more successful and to be better level-headed people and leaders in the world. Thank you. Wow, wow, wow. You said a lot there uh, and I deeply, deeply appreciate, um, you know, the work of this brother that passed on after serving the community so diligently. So uh, I just hope that uh, the, the work can continue. You know, part of the conversation today is figuring out how, how what else can the leaders who are here now do, you know. Uh, for those who are just joining us, this episode is made possible by Health Commons Project, which is a Washington nonprofit organization. 
uh, that he's partnering with me to feature and spotlight incredible African women during this last few days of uh, Women's History Month. And Masha Mutisi is an incredible community leader here in the Seattle area. And so we are having a conversation with her, learning about her and particularly the Zimbabwean community here in Seattle, Washington. And we are trying to really, really understand some of the challenges that uh, COVID-19 uh, you know, presented to the community and also how uh, the community has responded to those challenges as well as how, what are some of the things, what are some of the priorities uh, and ideas that the community could do if there was, you know, uh, enough funding for them to use to implement those ideas that they have. So if you're just joining us, make sure you subscribe to my YouTube channel. Uh, and uh, if you are joining us on TikTok, thank you. We are live streaming on Facebook and YouTube and Twitter and TikTok. And uh, I'm really, really lucky that uh, Masha took the time on a Friday morning. This is an early morning show and many guests are not courageous enough to show up. <laughs> so when you see a guest here, you know that they wanted to be here just like me. I love being here every Monday to Friday, 6 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. So, um, you know, Masha, can you talk about uh, just a little bit about some of the work that you've seen around our community outside of the Zimbabwean community? What kind of work have you seen being done in relation to COVID-19? Uh, you know, for example, are organizations out here that you know that are dispersing information about, you know, COVID-19 or providing direct services or any basic services like food? and housing assistance. Uh, speak to that for a moment before we continue. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, the services and uh, the, the things that have been made, uh, provided during COVID have been so many. And I just want to acknowledge and say thank you, Health Commons, for sponsoring this, this session. Um, I'm involved, like I said, with organizations that, you know, I get exposed to so much that's going on. Uh, the Tacoma Black Collective, for instance, um, was sharing information in partnership with the uh, health board. Um, every day we track, you know, numbers of deaths, having educational um, sessions with the, you know, within the Black community in Tacoma and the leadership really being at the, 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 the leading, all that information sharing. There's been a lot of funding made available, like you said, to distribute culturally relevant foods within communities, help uh, families that are struggling um, because of this pandemic and whether it was, uh, you know, with job loss and people just needing financial aid, there were some resources that became available. Uh, and honestly, you know, there are a lot of conspiracies and a lot of people who tell you, oh, it's because, you know, this money and that money and um, don't, you know, the, the vaccine clinics that were happening, they really had to be a lot of education because some people were, you know, anti-vaccines and uh, but some communities were providing vaccine and really having programs that were encouraging and uh, educating people on, on, on vaccines. Like I said, I saw people personally that died and that to me was enough reason for me to say I need to get the vaccine. I didn't want it. And I remember even my, um, <laughs> my friend actually who's a doctor 
tricked me and invited me to her office and said, you're getting vaccinated today because <laughs> I was delaying and I was not quite ready. Um, but she said, you know, come to my office, come visit and ended up just, you know, having me vaccinated. Uh, I thought it would be more complicated than it was, but it was so easy. But even the nurse, uh, the medical practitioner who vaccinated me was saying, even I don't want it myself, but it's important. So, uh, you know, there's been a lot of education and miseducation and information that a lot that we still don't know. And sadly, that that's where we are. But a lot has been happening in the community to really help and support each other. And I think the, the, the work has to continue, especially around mental health because i think the biggest effect of this pandemic has been on the mental even for our kids my son is you know he's seven now he's starting he's been in first grade but he was behind even in his reading compared to where my daughter had been at his age because he had years of uh, homeschooling or just not not being able to be schooled properly so our students are suffering because of that the education system wasn't prepared um, and yes, the pandemic helped actually for a lot of companies. Now, a lot of jobs are hybrid or you work from home. They have become open to that idea. I actually struggled before pandemic uh, with a boss. So by day I work in tech and I didn't mention that before. But I was asking to work from home and that was always an issue. Uh, my boss was not open to that idea, but now more and more people are open to uh, people working remotely, having their employees have that hybrid and having that work-life balance. But I think there's still a lot of work needed with mental health and people really having support system for each other. Because if anything else, that isolation. And for us who are from Africa, we are not used to it. You know, that was a big thing that uh, right now, even for Americans, you'll see there are so many concerts which are happening uh, at Climate Pledge Arena. Tickets are three, $400 and people still go and they're selling out and filling up because after the pandemic, people were saying, I will go to any concert, I'll go anywhere because the isolation was very hard on a lot of us. So that's a lot to cover, but I think, you know, there's, there's still work and healing that needs to happen. And I think that's where the focus needs to be uh, right now with this post pandemic as we're coming out of it. How do we heal? How do we get back to that sense of community? And how do we find a place of balance for life in general? Because it was just a lot that the world, the trauma that we've gone through with, with this, this whole situation. Thank you. Thank you, Masha. I agree 100%. Uh, I want to ask a couple of other questions and I hope you will be able to stay with me at least for another 10 or so minutes. But I want to let everybody who is joining us, uh, you know, to know that I deeply, deeply appreciate you. I want you to share in the comments, how did COVID-19 impact you and your community? I want to know. Uh, so share in the comments, uh, whether you're watching on, on Twitter, on Facebook, on uh, TikTok, uh, or here on YouTube. Uh, share in the comments uh, so that I can really read uh, how COVID-19 impacted you and your community. If you're watching today's episode, it has been made possible by Health Commons Project, which is a Washington-based nonprofit organization that uh, this spring 2023 is doing this program that is called the Community Driven Outreach Program in partnership with the Department of Health, Washington State's Department of Health. And this program is going to help improve COVID-19 information access and equity. It's going to help develop meaningful and cultural appropriate access to uh, you know, information and communication. And it's also going to help grow existing communi communication and engagement with uh, 
communities, especially in the African diaspora. So there's going to be funding for organizations uh, from the African diaspora. From April 2023, there will be funding. So uh, take a moment and uh, go and look up healthcommonsproject.org uh, so that you can learn a little more. Masha, I want to come back to you. And, uh, you know, considering all the work that you've said, uh, you know, leaders in your community have done, you have also done, the weight of the challenges that COVID-19 left us with, do you think that more work is necessary uh, in order to make the situation better? And if so, you know, what are some of the priorities? What are some of the activities that need funding, uh, when, when, you know, from where you're sitting? Yes, uh, I believe more work is definitely needed. Um, I mean, it's been interesting for me to see how there was such a pivot from just yesterday. I was thinking about at the grocery store, I would not walk in without somebody spraying some sanitizer all over my body, sanitizers on every corner. And now they are not there anymore. We've gone from having sanitizer everywhere we turn to no sanitizers even in the stores. And I'm like, goodness, you know, this this uh, COVID is apparently still here, or at least these flus and bugs are still happening. So uh, we still need to continue to have ways to protect ourselves, the sanitizing, keeping our hands clean. I remember when I visited Japan, uh, noticing they have wash basins at the even in the McDonald's at the door. They have a water station with soap for people to wash hands so that general hygiene and sanitation must continue uh, but the mental health effects as i talked about the isolation um some of those services are you know i really needed with people really being able to work through and recover a lot of companies now some of the financial effects are starting to take effect uh companies are laying people off, uh, some of the online sales that were being experienced are not happening. So economically, people still need support. We know, I, I know people in tech who are high earners who, who are being laid off right now, you know, hundreds of thousands of them in this region. Uh, where will they go next? Where, where will those jobs come from? And while they are not working, you know, they need support. These people are, you know, they've got big mortgages and things that they need to be paid. And then our education system, like I said, a lot of young people that were supposed to be homeschooled, some schools just didn't have the equipment and the, they were not prepared for it. So a lot of students are behind uh, in, in their learning. So services that help uh, young people in the education system for, 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 for them to be able to be successful, it's really important because I think these effects are going to, to be, you know, long, long running because as these young people are growing up they, they're already behind so those are some of the suggestions i have and in general just being able to help communities uh people to stay connected um and uh, and deal through some of the uh conspiracy theories and really continue to educate people because like i said there's a lot that's not known i personally now have health issues and things that i wonder it's the timing it started right when the covid uh, vaccine when i got it so i don't know which is which you know which are related to uh, female health issues uh but i'm also older and my doctor thought it was because of you know hormonal stuff but you know but educating people on uh really 
you know, telling each other what this is what I'm experiencing. And I, I hear other women tell me they're having the same issue, you know, with menstrual cycles just not being consistent. And I'm like, wow, has the research been done? Maybe more research needs to really be, you know, done on some of this instead of dismissing it, saying, ah, no, it's not because of the vaccine. It's not because of the vaccine. Because there's a lot that you talk to people in rooms and they'll say the same thing. And I'm going, wow, if five of us are here, surely there must be, uh, this is enough to do research on this. <laughs> so that's it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, I agree that there's a, lot of, there's a lot of mystery when it comes to transparency around this COVID-19 vaccines. You know, people are being encouraged to... Uh, to use the vaccines and in fact you can't travel you know i remember traveling in the midst uh we lost masha here for a second I'm, uh, I'm okay <laughs> oh okay okay anyhow i'll bring you back in a second once you figure out your light if you're just joining us here my name is simon okelo and i am the host of the african father in america podcast my guest today is masha mutisi who is an amazing community leader here in the Seattle area, and we are discussing uh, an amazing topic. You know, first we started with uh, an African proverb that says, noise and hunting don't go together. And that's really much related to this issue of COVID-19. Uh, today's episode is supported by Health Commons Project, and it's allowing us to go a little deeper into the effects of COVID-19 in our community here in the African diaspora, We've talked about some of the work that organizations, individuals, and businesses have been doing, uh, providing direct or indirect services uh, to counter the effects of COVID-19, but also what people can do with some of the funding that is now available through the community-driven outreach program that Health Commons Project is doing in partnership with Washington State's Department of Health. So, uh, you know, right now, we are having a conversation with Marsha here and just trying to understand this mysterious part of the COVID-19 uh, vaccine. Uh, literally before this conversation, I was looking at a Instagram post by Jane Aidu, who is uh, the first Secretary General for COSATU, who he wrote an article actually that I need to go and read. But you find that people who are very pro-vaccine are now coming out and talking about their family members being impacted by COVID-19, uh, their, their own health being uh, somewhat related to the vaccines that they took. Um, and so for me as a, a podcaster and the host of this conversation today, and I'll be hosting multiple uh, you know, similar conversations over the next few weeks, I just want to learn and I want to document and then share with the relevant people that can really help uh, provide the right funding to our community leaders and our organizations, but also uh, help us really go deeper and understand how do we deal with this? You know, are we uh, consuming something that is going to impact us like the, uh, like the propagandists are saying, or uh, are we just, you know, are we just screwed you know <laughs> what are we going to do should we go back to the hubs that our ancestors used to consume to deal with situations like this what should we do tell us in the comment how are you dealing with covid in your own community what do you think needs to improve you know what are some of the barriers 
uh, what are some of the things that you think are um, barriers to the improvement of communication around uh, COVID-19? Uh, talk about some of the things you feel that needs to be addressed, especially as this community-driven outreach program is, is being rolled out here in Washington State. Where do you want to see the over $10 million go into, you know? Masha, talk about that for a moment, and let's hear from the audience too. Share in the comment what you think this money should do. Yeah, I think some of those conversations need to be had because they're really tough conversations. Because as we're talking about, you know, collecting data and information, now that a lot of, you know, millions of people have been vaccinated and things like that, but you still find there's a lot of hush-hush being um, this response when you try to talk and ask some of the questions and say, guys, this is what I'm experiencing. It's so-and-so is experiencing it too. People will be like, ah, no, 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 that's, you know, that's not good to talk about that. But we need to really have open conversations, uh, you know, with, like we said, with having had the vaccines a lot of people that i know now uh that are having covid were vaccinated and that's expected uh but at least you know the the, the point is that they survive you don't die from it uh but at the time it seemed like if you're vaccinated you don't have you don't get covid but that's turning out not to be the case but so really just making sure you know all this seeming like it was saying one thing and doing another what what's really the expected information that you know that we should know um, and, and collecting data based on what people are experiencing right now. I'd actually heard, um, again, uh, somebody saying, if you're blood O type, uh, you won't get COVID. I, I never got it and I'm an O type, you know, blood type. And I heard that a little bit and I never heard it researched or talked about. So going into research with some of those ideas and facts would be good because I, you know, like I said, I know there's so many theories uh, but some of the concern is about, you know, some of the hospitals that continue to now push drugs on people that are very, very strong in terms of if somebody now gets COVID, uh, they're getting on all these drugs, which again are, are said to be very extremely, you know, harsh uh, drugs, but because hospitals get paid to give those medications and to put people on ventilators still that maybe might not need it. So you hear some of those stories. So yeah, some of that money needs to really go into really more research and helping people understand more and still having the conversations. Because like I said, now it just seems like um, it's been go thrown into the back burner and people are moving on to the next set of news. Whereas, you know, this is still something that we need to talk about. And what happens with the people that are losing jobs so maybe some of that money needs to go to help some of those families, help them pivot maybe to other uh, industries. I remember during uh, the last recession, there were families who went from working in top IT jobs to opening pizza shops. How do we get into other skill sets for those who, you know, who are losing jobs that, that are no longer going to happen? Because as we move more into robotics and things like that, you know, some jobs will definitely just be automated and uh, people will no longer be needed. How do we help uh, our um, workers to to be prepared? And even those that were in healthcare, uh, is the, the, there's less and less need. Um, what other um, skills should we be maybe focusing on? You know, as you are speaking, as you are speaking uh, about how do we pivot and get uh, and train people to uh, you know get into new industries and start new career paths 
I was thinking about HIV. You know, Zimbabwe was also impacted by HIV a lot, much like Kenya. And my hometown for the longest time, Kisumu, was the epicenter of HIV in the 90s. We had the highest prevalence in the world for years. So I saw orphanages cropping up because we had so many children that were orphaned. Their parents passed on as a result of HIV. And so my mother was one of the people that started an orphanage home. So a lot of the work I do sprang from that environment, you know, of solving problems that really were related to HIV. And I see the next 10 years, a lot of institutions and organizations are going to be built around the impact of COVID-19. In fact, as you're speaking earlier, you spoke about the story of uh, our Zimbabwean brother who passed on after really helping a lot of people during the pandemic. And now his children could be COVID-19 orphans, you know, because of, uh, of COVID-19, you know. So what are we going to do with COVID-19 orphans? What are we going to do with COVID-19 uh, widows and widowers? What are we going to do with COVID-19 organizations that were orphaned? Because you see a lot of the organizations in the African community that were in the front line, feeding people, uh, finding housing for people, uh, getting food to people at their doorstep, you know, uh, some of their leaders are not here with us anymore. How do, what do we do with orphaned organizations? Because the services these organizations provided uh, and provide is very critical. And uh, how do we provide the funding and develop the next set of leaders to ensure that these organizations can continue thriving despite uh, even some of the leaders are burned out? You know, there are organizations that were doing so well right before the pandemic, and you could see the effort they were putting in the community during the pandemic and then for example recently i was meeting a leader of a very well-known organization locally here in the seattle area and i was excited congratulating them on the work that they do and then they told me you know what i left that job two years ago so the 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 the, the, the results you're seeing are partly the efforts i put in but i got burned out i could not do it anymore so the moment i saw that things were working i just ran away you know <laughs> so how do we continue to put the right resources into the right organizations masha do you want to speak about this uh, as our last question and then uh, i'll ask you just how people can stay connected with you and uh, i'll read some of the comments of our brothers and sisters who are joining us here today yeah, no, I think the, you know, like you said, sometimes being a leader means starting something that others can continue. It doesn't mean you have to actually stay there. Um, Vusi Tempekwai actually had a, a session he did on that about a business. If you're an entrepreneur, you start something and others carry on that work. So it, it, you can tend to get burnt out. Um, but like you mentioned correctly, continuing with, you know, those families that were impacted that still need our support. We really need to figure out how we do that. For instance, the family I'm talking about, they live out in uh, Kitsap County, uh, away from where they, there's not a lot of population uh, of our, our other community. 
So being able to really see how we, we continue the work that was started and not let it just fall under the rug, which is, seems to be happening and continuing those conversations, um, it still needs to happen. And really going out to the community and asking what people need um, and, and just making sure that continues. Because it seems, you know, there are some people who benefited from this whole COVID thing, made money and don't really care simon i think at the end of the day that's what makes a difference really being leaders who care genuinely about the community and not dropping the ball on other issues the cancers that people are experiencing even if now there's you know uh less COVID, but we've got people who are suffering from mental health issues we've got cancer you know uh, victims that still need the same amount of support when somebody has cancer when we've got community members who have young kids with uh, drug issues, it's happening a lot in our African community. How do we have the same rigor behind addressing some of those needs as we had around COVID, COVID, COVID? It was a big deal. It's still a big deal, but drug issues are a big deal. Cancer is also a big deal. Let's have the same rigor around these other issues and let's help uh, people that are experiencing them and keep going and be consistent because it seems some leaders were just around oh COVID, oh you know for their own gain but really caring about the people and saying how do we help and even having access to health care having health health benefits not everybody can get sick and go to the doctor you know and so how do we get access to health i know that uh waste in the immigrant uh Solidarity Network has been advocating for having a special uh, health uh, insurance for people that are undocumented. So those are things that we need to further look into and support, making sure people just have general health care, access to health. If you get sick, you're scared to go to the doctor because you can't afford the bill. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, I, I love that. I love everything you, you share with us. And uh, I, I just want to give a quick shout out to our audience members who are joining us for today's conversation. Before I do that, though, I want to let you all know that today's episode was made possible by Health Commons Project, which is a non-profit organization based here in Washington State. And uh, Health Commons Project is partnering with Washington State's Department of Health. Uh, and through that partnership, the community-driven outreach program uh is happening and that's part of why we're having this conversation uh you know we are doing a series of interviews currently with incredible african women leaders to celebrate women's history month which is march but also as april approaches for example april 15th we have a big dinner that we are organizing as part of the One Vibe African Dinner Series at Roomba Notes Lounge in Seattle. So save the date April 15th. Uh, and also be aware that from April 2023 to the summer of 2024, there is funding being provided through this community-driven outreach program. And if you want to learn more, you should go to the Health Commons Project website and learn more. Uh, applications for this grant starts next month so uh, if you're watching this if you're listening to this podcast you're one of the first people that are learning about this opportunity so there's no reason why you should not go after this funding especially if you're in washington state um 
Now, just quickly, Marsha, think about how everyone who is watching and listening to our show today can stay connected with you. Uh, for now, I just want to give a shout out to all our guests who are joining us today. I see Lavender. Thank you for being here. Uh, I see my friend Joan uh, of Carbon Credits Exchange joining us. Thank you for being here. I see Cubs. Thank you for being here. And also Kesiwa. Uh, we've come to the tail end of our time together today, Marsha, and I just want you to uh, share with us your closing comments and also how can everyone who is watching and listening stay connected with you. Thank you. Yeah, your dinner is happening just around the time of our Zimbabwe Independence Party as well. So <laughs> we'll be joining and celebrating in many ways and we'll share more. But my Instagram is Mambokadzi, M-A-M-B-O-K-A-D-Z-I. That's really the best way to get a hold of me, Mambukadzi on Instagram. Um, also use the same handle on uh, Twitter. Um, and um, I do a bit of Facebook, but <laughs> uh, Instagram and Twitter are the best ways to connect with me. So thanks for having me today, Simon. Thanks for this great show. Of course, of course, uh, Lady Lion Mambukadzi. That's, uh, that's your nickname. <laughs> hey, I just want you to know that I deeply appreciate you for making the time and now you're free to go back to your beautiful little ones, you know. <laughs> and keep up the good work. I'll connect with you tomorrow. Hopefully I'll be able to join you for the Tacoma Black Leaders uh, gathering that happens every Saturday morning. Uh, again, and, uh, again, to everyone who joined us for the show today, thank you. We'll see you next week, Monday to Friday, same time, 6 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for another series of African proverbs and beautiful conversations with leaders like uh, Masha, who is here with us today. Peace and love. Okay, take love. care. You are listening to African Father in America podcast by Simon Javanokelo, live from Seattle, Washington.